Hi guys, today we are going live with Dr. Lisa Lippman. Dr. Lisa is a vet in New York City. She's the founder of Vets in the City, medical director of Animal Light Rescue, um, podcast host of the show, We Don't Deserve Dogs. She does a lot. So today we're gonna talk to Lisa about ticks, spaying, neutering, at what age, all those hot topics we're all so interested in learning more about. Hope everyone's doing good. I know Instagram's being a little wonky right now, so bear with us. Hey. Hi, that worked. Oh, I've never been invited to a room. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thanks for having me. Before we get into the tick questions, I just wanna um, talk a little bit about you and yep. your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, oh, um, so, oh, I mean, I've wanted to be a veterinarian. I'm just gonna give us some more light. Um, I've wanted to be a veterinarian since I can remember, since like birth. Um, I had, um, my, my next door neighbors used to have these Shih Tzu puppies that they would breed and they used to put me in the playpen with these puppies and feed me chocolate. And I'm pretty sure like I was just done for. Um, so uh, that was it. Ever since I can remember, there was nothing else I ever wanted to do. But it was sort of circuitous because I wasn't like a great high school student. So I wasn't really sure that I could do all the sciences and stuff. So I actually wound up um, going to college, doing really well at college, and then going back to school to finish some of my prerequisites and working for a couple of years and then going to vet school in California. So it was definitely like a, a non-traditional path, but I think like as time goes on, I'm seeing so many of my friends in vet school also did a, a like a non-traditional path. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it's something I always wanted to do. But. Very cool. And yeah. can you just tell me a little bit about um, Vets in the City? Yeah, Vets in the City. So I'm just plugging in my phone. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to lose you. Um, so Vets in the City is a house call practice that I started um, in Manhattan, like, <laughs> A, about a year before the pandemic. And then I got recruited to do another job to be like the lead New York veterinarian for a house call startup. Um, and then I was kind of refocusing on vets in the city. And uh, that's when the pandemic hit. And I don't know if you saw, but both of my parents were on ventilators due to COVID, oh my God. Um, which is really crazy. Um, they survived. Yeah, thanks. They sort of super traumatic. They survived, but I went to be with them where they got hit in Florida um, for like seven months we were there. So now I'm, I'm actually focusing on, I'm doing a lot of telehealth. Um, so yeah, where I talk to people, they don't have to leave. It's very convenient. And, you know, if they need to go in for something, it has limitations, obviously. So if they need to go in for something, then I will set them up with an appointment. So, yeah. Very cool. That's such I a wonder if people course. are having a hard time. I bet people still are not joining because I bet that they're still having a hard time getting on or, or mm -hmm. just like was like, screw Instagram and left. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the case because the first time it, it was um... – working fine but yeah i mean do you want to just do you want to just yeah. chat I have, okay yeah for sure yeah this, okay this will live on the, mm -hmm. <laughs> so um with okay so with rika we moved from la to new york now we're here in westchester oh you're in new york oh i didn't know okay yeah so, we're not far. so right now i mean i have pulled off like five ticks from rika's coat oh. like on the back yeah. and mind you like 
she were outside very active like every yeah. day like two hours you know like very much in the woods um i mean even just running around the grass i feel like right she's she's getting yeah. the clicks so um we had her on a, like a shampoo that uh, I forget Tropiclean, uh -huh. um, but that wasn't working. That wasn't effective. So I went to the vet this week, and the vet prescribed um, Simperico Trio. Oh, Trio. Okay, cool. So, um, so what are my thoughts? Yes. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts. I mean, I have, I have a video on this and I always say this and I said this in the, in the live before. I mean, I think ticks are going to take over the world. <laughs> they carry more and more disease every year. They're really hard to kill. Um, and they're just, they're so creepy and awful. And, and even fleas, even fleas can carry also like really awful disease actually. Um, not so much here, but like in Colorado, um, the bubonic plague is pretty endemic. And, um, I mean, it's the plague, it's pretty serious and it's carried by fleas, um, fleas mostly that live on, um, um, like, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of like, they're not groundhogs, like the little prairie dogs, prairie dogs. They live, they live a lot on prairie dogs. And, um, and so you can get really nasty disease from both of them. And so the disease, you know, we always weigh our risk versus benefits, right? So whenever we give any kind of a medication, there's always going to be a small risk, but I am a big fan of the orals. So I'm a big fan of Simperica, Nexgard, Brevecto. Um, and that's because for a few reasons. So number one, you don't have to deal with any topical chemical mess. We're not just like putting chemicals on them that you're touching. Um, and when they take it and it's oral, um, it, it actually doesn't work on the dog at all. It works on like only receptors that only neurotransmitters that the bugs have. So it works to like inhibit those things and basically kill, kill the bugs. Um, if the bugs were to like ingest a little bit of their blood, I have patients. I mean, there, there are articles that come out like every year about, you know, seizures or this or that. I have a whole highlight on the Soresto thing that just happened. I'm not sure if you saw that, but a lady ordered a Soresto collar, I think like off of Amazon. Um, and then her dog, I think had died shortly afterwards. Um, and two things that I always say about that is that causation correlation does not equal causation. So just because, you know, like I ate a banana and then I got hit by a truck, like do bananas cause you to be hit by trucks? You know, like that's just not how it works. So um, the studies are like, they studied it up to five times the dosage and it was still really safe. And I mean, besides that, I put on literally thousands of dogs a year on these orals and I have not had a single issue. Um, I even have, I have one French bulldog who's about two years old, who has like severe refractory seizures. Like I, I thought we were going to have to euthanize her. We'd have a really hard time controlling them. And we have her on next guard. Um, so even that, even with her, um, you know, with the warnings on the box and things like that, they're so safe. So Chloe is my, my dog is currently on Simperica. Um, she was on next guard, but she's like, she's so finicky. And I just find the next guard tablet easier to chop up and give to her and she's on heart guard um but i love the simperica trio the simperica trio that came out it's the three in one so right heartworm fleas and ticks and heartworm by the way is 
the worst disease, the worst. I will flare my nostrils all day long at heartworm. Um, heartworm is, so not only is it a terrible disease, like it causes heart and, and lung failure, but um, it's awful to treat. So it takes eight months to treat painful intramuscular injections and thousands of dollars. So it's, and it's so, so preventable with, with a once monthly. So I really love the Symperica trio. Probably as soon as Chloe runs out of her Symperica heart guard, I will switch her to Symperica trio because she's really finicky. It's hard to give to her. But unfortunately, like the over the counter things like you were probably using or like not prescription things like they, they just don't work. They just, they don't work. They don't have the efficacy. They don't have the safety studies. So I definitely would recommend. And I mean, I, you know, it's not just cause I'm a veterinarian that I'm saying this, but I've seen, I've seen the damage that ticks and heartworms can do. Um, and fleas, I mean, and, and even though we don't have bubonic plague here, like people have to like flea bomb their fleas will like take over your world too. They, you'll have to like flea bomb your whole house. They're so hard to get rid of once you get them. Um, and while they're not usually as dangerous as like ticks and stuff, they just, it's just not what you want to have to deal with. Um, so, so yeah, that's, I think that's. Yeah. Can you tell me, um, what is actually happening to Rika's body when I give her the, um, the tablet, the oral tablet? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, again, it's a medication. It's, uh, it's a medication that basically inhibits the neurotransmitters of the bugs so that they die. It's just medication that lasts in her bloodstream, but again, does not work on any of her neurotransmitters. So it okay. really doesn't do anything to her. It's kind of like, it's probably kind of like, um, like artificial sweeteners almost, right? There's a lot of debate about artificial sweeteners. For example, like, in sweet and low or in a lot of artificial sweeteners, they will replace what's called a hydroxyl group, which is part of water, like that OH, they'll replace that absorbable part with a chloride or chlorine atom. And the thing is, a lot of people are up in arms because it's chlorine and like, we shouldn't really be ingesting chlorine, it seems like, but when the chlorine is attached to that, um, to that like fake sugar substitute, it, it really just moves to like, it just moves right through your body. So you don't absorb it and you don't, there are no calories. That's why there are no calories because you, it prevents you from absorbing it. So because you don't absorb it, it just moves right through your body. Um, and, and so then are the chlorine atoms harmful because you're not absorbing it? You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's hard to know. It's still like up for a lot of debate. I mean, we are using you know, they are chemicals, right? Everything is a chemical. Um, but what I would say is, you know, again, we've been using them for so many years. They're so safe. It's a risk versus benefit. Um, and, uh, and, and the other thing is that, you know, they just, they don't live as long as we do. Right. So in humans, probably like we don't use things like this because, there's more, there would be like more damage to ourselves over a much longer period of time. They live like, you know, not even like a quarter of, of how long we live. So we just aren't as worried about <clears throat> the damage to their cells. And I've never seen anything linked to them. You know, like I said, I've, I've been practicing for like almost 10 years and I've, I've just never seen it, you know, which is what makes me so comfortable using with my dog. You know, do I love, do I love it? 
I don't love I don't love it, honestly, but I don't want I, I definitely seen the damage done from ticks and fleas. And so I do I give it to her every month. So and oh, so when I'm giving it to her, ticks won't even will they even want to like go up, go to her skin? Like, yeah. should I still um, check her? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yes. So definitely still check her. Ticks definitely can. And that surprises people also usually is ticks. They, so they, it doesn't, the orals don't do anything to repel the ticks. Um, ticks can definitely still attach, um, but they should die before they're able. We, we think that it, it takes at least 24 hours to transmit disease. So it should kill the tick usually within a couple of hours, well before it has a chance to transmit any disease. So you probably will still need to pull a tick off. They may still attach. Um, the Soresto collar has some, um, some repellent. The Soresto collar works by um, all of the medication is in the collar. So you don't touch it. But as the dog walks, it disperses like through their oil glands um, with movement. It just like kind of trickles like down all around, all around their oil glands. And that's where it lives. And so that serves to sort of repel um, and kill any fleas or ticks that jump on them. And the Soresto collar lasts for eight months, which is really cool. Um, and um, for, the, for the people that are using um, the topical, um, uh, what's happening there and how often are, are, do you have to do something like the next scar one or I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Maybe I had my finger over the thing. So, um, so probably the only topicals that are veterinary prescribed that I would recommend would be, um, frontline and revolution. I think those are the ones I think that's it. Um, and those are usually once monthlies, but again, like I don't like dealing with the top, like I sleep with Chloe and it usually takes 24 hours to dry. So, I don't like dealing with the topical chemical mess and it's also less effective um, because it can wash off it, you know, it has wear. So the orals have proven the orals were actually made by the makers of the topicals to be more effective um, and, and also again, really, really safe. So, um, so I'm not a fan of the topicals for that reason. I really try to get people to move away from them. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are concerned about um, about the orals and even some of the topicals and are looking for all natural solutions to the tick problem. Um, and a, a lot of people are not um, like in in Europe, let's say, where you know the the where like building immunity would be more popular. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? And uh, the more my thoughts are, it just it doesn't work. I mean, I I you know I to some degree, maybe, maybe it works, but like, it's just, it's not going to work as well as the medication. You know, unfortunately there's a saying in, in, in medicine, which is if it doesn't do any harm, it doesn't do any good. So when something really works, unfortunately it can have some adverse effects, but it, again, with the flea and tick medication, I've never seen the, the worst I've seen have been after giving it to literally thousands of dogs. The worst I've seen is I've seen has been like one bout of vomit.
something or diarrhea. And usually that's because people don't give it with food. So I say, have, did you give it with food? You know, just give it, have something in their belly first and then give it to them like after dinner, after breakfast. Um, and then usually it's not a problem. Um, there are, there are natural things. I think, um, there's a product called Wonderside that I like that I think is good. If you want to, you try to use that like in conjunction as a repellent. I think it's like lemon, lavender, like stuff like that. I mean, look, I was the president of the holistic club at my veterinary school. Like I, I'm all for holistic. I think the best medicine will be the coming together of East and West. I really do. But in in a case like fleas and ticks like it just doesn't it's just not nearly as effective you know um and again the damage i've seen ticks fleas and ticks do um it's just not worth it it's just really not worth it and and with how safe i think that the the flea and tick medication really is it's just really not worth it what I think I forgot to mention, but I mentioned in my highlight about the Soresto collar where that woman's dog died was that she, I think she got it from Amazon that has a lot of counterfeit products. So mm. you cannot get your products from Amazon. It has to be from a trusted vendor. Okay. So thank you for that. So next hot topic is raw food diet. Oh. Evil versus raw. Um, I'm, I'm going to offend a lot of your, uh, a lot of your followers, I think. Um, uh, you know, I, I, tr I really don't condemn or condone like one of those feeding methods there. I have seen dogs on raw who do really well, especially dogs with like allergies who are fit fed one diet. The, the, the very truth of it, the facts, the studies show that there's, no proven benefit because there have been studies on this. So there's, there's no proven benefit and the risk of pathogens like E. coli, salmonella, things like that are so much higher to you and um, anybody around you, especially anybody who's immunosuppressed. So um, any elderly children, anybody who's, you know, in a hospital setting, uh, they will not let your dog also be a therapy dog if you feed raw because they're, you're usually going to like uh, immunocompromised populations in a hospital, right? So you can't have your dog that's fed raw go to a hospital because they shed a large amount of things like salmonella and E. coli. So it's something to consider if you want your dog to be a therapy dog for sure. Um, and again, there's no proven risk. And like one of the arguments is like, <laughs> oh, well, that's like what wolves eat, you know, or in the wild. And I am like, do you know how long wolves live in the wild normally? I, their lifespan is approximately like five years old. So they don't, they don't live very long. It's not, it's just not a good argument. Um, and they're not wolves. They're really, they're really different. Um, so they have some some wolf ancestry, some dogs closer than others, but they're really very different as well. So that's well, my think... feeling is it's just, I, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the fresh frozen food movement. So like food that I would eat. So the lightly cooked, you know, lightly cooked even, but just but cooked a bit. So you mm -hmm. feed Rika. So I feed Rika um, raw, uh, well, the, the frozen food. I should have um, asked before I gave you my answer, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, that's yeah. fine. 
Um, but I, I know a lot of um, a lot of friends that uh, that feed fully raw, you know, get all the ingredients, have really great meal plans. Um, and their dogs are very healthy, very athletic dogs, working dogs, um, and they do great on it. And then when they switch the diet and uh, um, have kibble, you know, the ships are way bigger and like the, they notice like some sluggishness. And um, I mean, that's the, the big um, like reason why people choose to do raw, um, just the more natural, uh, <clears throat> it's all natural. But for me, um, I noticed that um, I, I just prefer to do it because I feel like Rika, I guess it's my own, yeah, it's a, it's a personal preference. I mean, and there are people I tell this to and, you know, they still feed raw and I still see their dog and that's fine. But I, I just would be really careful about, um, so dogs intestinal tracts are a lot shorter. They don't, they won't get infected as often um, as we do, but they still can get infected. Um, and I would just make sure that you're using like really good hygiene. And again, you're not around anybody who's immunocompromised or anything else like that. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so I, I get, I, you know, for me, like I said, I, I like the fresh frozen, like I like feeding Chloe what I would eat, you know, so I think I'm all for the fresh, like I think kibble obviously is highly preserved um, and not for everybody, but in that case, I would go to the, to the lightly cooked fresh frozen foods, so. And what do you feed your personal dogs? So I feed, I feed Chloe um, a comp, so she's really finicky. <laughs> Um, so I feed her pretty much a combination of like just food for dogs and the farmer's dog. So just food for dogs is like the OG of the fresh frozen food movement. They bought a human grade kitchen and you can go in and watch them cook with like the, any food that you or I would eat, like Purdue, you know, chicken and carrots and whatever. And they also have do it yourself if you want to cook at home and have like a little bit more control of their diet. Um, you can do buy their do-it-yourself kits, which are vitamin mineral premixes that are created by board certified veterinary nutritionists. And you buy like chicken, gizzards, liver, um, what are the ingredients? It's like, it's like seven different ingredients. It's not a lot. It's like, yeah, chicken, because I've done it for her before. Chicken, gizzards, liver, at, like, and vegetables and stuff. And then you just add the vitamin mineral premix and you cook it, but it's lightly cooked. So mm -hmm. again, I, there's a, there is, you know, to, there is a benefit, I think, to lightly cooking things. So you don't denature the proteins and stuff, but you're still, you know, getting rid of the E. coli and the salmonella. Mm -hmm. So for people that are um, going to buy food for their dogs, what are certain things that they should look out for? Um, to give your dog a healthy diet. Yeah, well, I, you know, I always say it's like uh, religion, politics, dog food, because people get so emotional over what they feed their dog, particularly raw feeders. Um, and so I think um, I always ask people what are what's their preference, right? So I can help them the most. So basically, if um, oh, and somebody said their vet recommended home cooked with balance it. Yeah, so. Balance It is a website where if you want to home cook for your dog, it will give you recipes and then give you, again, a vitamin mineral premix. The thing with Balance It, as far as I know, last I heard is they were using some vitamin mineral premixes from China. Um, and we know that we have to be really careful with products from China. They can be contaminated, like what happened with the melamine contamination, you know, years ago that caused all those dogs to go into kidney failure. Um, so we have to be really careful with that. I always prefer products, you know, 
created in the USA when it comes to food. Um, so I would say, so first, religion, politics, dog food. Um, I ask people what their preference is. There's basically three ways of feeding. Raw, fresh frozen, um, fresh frozen slash home cooked or kibble. Um, and I think it, if you're going to go raw, I don't know, I would probably find a veterinarian who who's on that wavelength and who can help you the most and, and be safe and stuff. Um, with the fresh frozen, you know, my favorites are just food for dogs, the farmer's dog and um, Nom Nom, they all have board certified veterinary nutritionists that they work with. So these are veterinarians who have gone through an extra four years of school beyond vet school, just studying nutrition. Um, and then if you're going to go to kibble, then, you know, again, while it's highly preserved, and I'm sure like I am confident a lot of your followers are not kibble fans, but I would say to go with one of the big three. Um, so that's Volcanon Hills or Pure Arena. And that's because, again, these are the bigger companies with a lot of money um, with multiple board certified nutritionists and years of experience. And as much as we love it or hate it, uh, there's just no denying that their some of their diets is particularly their prescription diets work. Um, so that's, yeah, that's probably what I would say. It's just like, it's very personal choice. So you got to pick your choice, kind of stick with it and then find, find a vet. So like when you, for example, so you, you raw feed, how do you make sure that the food is complete and balanced? Um, so I get, um, primal dog food. Oh, okay. Got um, it. So you have a pre-made. Um, yeah. Yeah, Primal yeah. is probably my favorite. If you're going to do the pre-made, then Primal, I think, is, I think Primal has, like, a lot of farms. So last time, like, I looked into it, Primal would probably be my pick of raw um, if I were going to pick a raw food. Um, but just, again, you just have to be cognizant of the um, of the risks. Mm -hmm. Do you um, think, obviously, um, you know, there's pet dogs and there's working dogs. The working dogs um, are going to be, you know, working or, or sport dogs. They're going to be, you know, it's just a more athletic lifestyle. Do you think those dogs, um, like if, if a dog like that came to you, uh, would you be um, giving that dog a different diet per that dog's lifestyle? That's a good question. I, I mean, I, I, I think fresh non-preserved non-highly preserved food is um is going to be always is my preference right but um as far as i think probably the biggest difference there is going to be like the cal the, the caloric and protein content right so we mm -hmm. just want to make sure that it's probably like a high protein um uh you know calorie dense diet for whatever like if they're a dog like always on the go but not necessarily when I mean, I've seen I've worked with a lot of working dogs mostly bomb sniffing dogs um and like seeing eye and stuff and you know I they're not really fed from from what I can see they're not really fed anything different um I I, I know that raw is popular among you know that community um but I don't know. What do you think? Do you think there's a, a difference? And it's really mostly in the caloric content, I think. Just yeah. making sure that they get enough. Yeah. I mean, I notice it definitely in her in her shit, you know? Like yeah. when I feed her her raw, like her shits are are nice and just um and a lot smaller. Like and then I feed her kibble and they're and they're massive and yeah. uh 
it just kind of feels like I'm just, to be honest, it feels like I'm just feeding her a lot of carbs. And oh yeah, kibble kibble is definitely a lot of carbs. So like for for my cats, for example, the cats the first thing when cats almost all cats need to lose weight. They're almost all obese now, and the first thing I'll recommend is that they go on a wet food diet, um, if not a fresh food diet, because kibble is way higher in carbs for sure. Um, I do think that um, we we have this conception though about dogs and poop, like that they, they shouldn't be pooping or they should have like tiny poops or like that's what we want but I think also we have to remember like they need a good fiber content too like they should be pooping um and I think that when you switch you know I always encourage people to switch like, can you raise your volume oh sorry it's my finger okay um so when you switch I always encourage people to switch like over five to seven days and then it does there is often like an adjustment period um but Again, I, you know, I don't think you need to go from raw to, um, I mean, I don't think you need to change at all, but for people who want, who are concerned about the risk or living with somebody who's immunocompromised, I don't think you need to go from raw to kibble. I think the, the fresh frozen is a really good in between or home cooking isn't a good in between. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, okay. When should I spay my nine month old female Belgian Malinois? Uh, there was a brand new study that just came out. I will send it to you so that you can post it. Um, they made specific recommendations for 36 different breeds. I don't know if Belgian Malinois aren't were on there, but very, very basically, um, there, the new studies are showing that for large breed dogs. So what happens what happens is when we spay or neuter our dogs, we take away testosterone or estrogen. And testosterone and estrogen are actually the impetus for bone growth plate closure. So that means when we take that away, they grow longer and leggier. And there's some thought that this can predispose them to either orthopedic diseases like ACL tears or um, very aggressive forms of bone cancer like osteosarcoma. And so, um, the thing with the female dogs is that we know if we don't spay them before their third heat cycle, they are much more prone to uh, mammary, mammary tumors. But the thing is with mammary tumors is that um, they, if we can catch them early and excise them, they're typically, they're much more likely to be treatable and curable than osteosarcoma is. So, so we're really picking the lesser of the evil. So the thought now very basically is for larger breed dogs is to let them go through at least one or two heat cycles or stay around a year. Um, but I would look at this study and see if they have a specific recommendation for um, Malinois. Uh, but again, large breed dogs in general, um, now the thought is to go through that one or two heat heat cycles. My friend, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, who is a veterinary oncologist, all she does deals with is cancer. Um, she did a video on this too, where she spayed her own, um, her Labrador at around two years old. And if you just Google Dr. Sue Cancer Vet spay or neuter, it comes up and it's a great vlog that I definitely would encourage you to watch there too. She goes over all the risks and benefits. Um, but like very simply put, I would say probably around one year after one or two heat cycles.
Okay. And then um, uh, the purple thistle, what about medium breeds, medium or small? Um, yeah, I would, I would really look at the study for this. So again, for, for male dogs, I'll always say like probably around a year. Um, it's also kind of very European to just not do it, honestly. I don't really even push my, um, like my male dog, if they're responsible responsible owners um i i don't really push them to 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 neuter because you know the it's actually so the the neutering will de will obviously get rid of the risk of testicular cancer and it lowers the incidence of like benign prostatic hyperplasia but it actually doesn't decrease the risk of prostatic cancers um at all and so if there's not behavioral issues, um, then I really leave it up to them. <laughs> um, if there are behavioral issues, that's very, very different. Um, so because behavior is the number one reason why people relinquish or euthanize their pets, it's the number one cause of death in pets nationwide. And so behavior is so, so serious. So. Um, so if there are any behavioral issues, I will recommend neutering earlier because quality of life is everything there. Um, but yeah, so for the male dogs, I would say almost always around a year. For the females, because of that issue with the mammary tumors, it'll go by breed and size. Um, so in general, for medium dogs, I mean, again, around a year for, for most dogs, if you can wait, unless there are behavioral issues. But um, I will, like I said, I'll send this study and see if your dog is on there for that specific recommendation. It's really very cool. Thank you for that. I know yeah. there's some people that their vets recommend that they get their dogs spayed before the first heat. This is, this is very new thinking. So I would say like, I like to say, when I was in school, like, you know, when I, I'm so old, this was like nine years ago. Um, that was the thought was we spayed and neutered every dog at six months. And there was like one small study that had come out, but it was Rottweilers who are prone to these, you know, bone cancers anyway. And it was such, it was like six dogs. It was like nothing that could really be taken seriously, but that we were like, eh. so at the time when I was in vet school, which is again, like 10, well, Chloe's 10, Chloe's 10 in like three months and I got her my junior, like my junior. So 10 years ago when I was deciding when to spay Chloe, I did her at 10 months. She hadn't gotten into heat yet, but like I wanted to give her a little bit more time with her hormones. So like I just had that feeling, you know, the, that inkling like, oh, I think having her hormones are like, you know, it's better for her for some reason. And now we're finding out that that's true. So if I did it again, I would have let, let her go through um, one or two heats. So anyway, it's very new thinking. Um, and so if you, they're not up to date, they just haven't, you know, they're busy. They just haven't seen the latest on this. Um, and they're used to just recommending this like their whole lives. Um, that's, it's, it's going to be a little while before everybody catches up, unfortunately, but I would take this, if, if you're seeing this video and I, you see the study or just mention to your vet, like, Hey, there are, I've heard there are studies like, you know, I'd love for you to look that up or something like that, you know, just like nicely. So, um, yeah, that's just have what they're doing. Have you seen any cases where um, a female gets spayed and then there's um, aggression that pops up and behavioral issues post spay? Uh, I mean, definitely yes, because I would say most of the dogs that I deal with are spayed or neutered now, right? I mean, I, I 
have very little patients who are, um, I have very few patients who are still intact as, as adult dogs. And aggression issues typically pop up um, around two to four years. So different like resource guarding, aggression issues, which people are always surprised about because they're always like, oh, like my puppy was perfect. Like, yeah, puppies are perfect. Puppies are innocent. It's very, it's very rare. I, I actually have seen aggression in puppies, which is like so scary. So, so scary. So no, no bueno. Um, but, um, but it's more, it's very common. It's typical that instead aggression will pop up around two to four years old. And that always surprises people because again, they, they weren't expecting it, right? They had this perfect puppy and like two years has gone by and this is when. So yeah, um, I, I don't, I can't tell you if like more of my behavior cases are female or male, but definitely like, so, so yes, but post spay specifically, like, like right post spay, I don't know that I can correlate it to the, to the spay, but okay. anything's possible. Okay, Natalia Cervantes. My nine-year-old dog has been diagnosed with osteosarcoma and unfortunately surgery and chemo are not options. Any tips on how to help improve her life? Mm, I'm so sorry. That's really, um, it's really gonna be about pain management. So um, I still would see a board certified oncologist if you can. Um, there are things, there are special things, potentially drugs that they can, they can use um, to help mitigate a lot of that, that discomfort. So it's really just going to be a lot about um, at, like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and maybe some, um, there are some drugs that work directly on the bone um, and, uh, um, and opioids. So it's really going to be about pain management. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, Nikki Powell, how, what fruits and vegetables are safe for my dog to snack on? Oh, um, yeah, I love supplementing with, you guys have heard it here, I'm a big fan of fresh foods. So um, what I would say is actually know your list of toxic things, and then you'll know what you can give them. So no, nothing in the grape family. So no grapes, raisins, currants, uh, onions, garlic, xylitol, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, which is an artificial sugar sweetener. Um macadamia nuts those are all chocolate obviously those are all toxic fruits and veggies like snap peas green beans i love green beans they're so low calorie and just like amazing as treats if your dog is food motivated carrots in moderation because they are pretty high in sugar um like what for everything in moderation you know the cruciferous vegetables like um broccoli are probably good for them but also they're very like sulfurous so they can cause them to have like a lot of gas in overdose so um yeah okay. almost anything watermelon blueberries those aren't vegetables but okay all right thank you for that justine taylor my vet says that turkey can cause pancreatitis is this correct that's interesting. I've, I've heard of, you know, I, I, for some reason, I don't know if turkey gets a bad rap, but anything that's high in fat. So you just want to make sure you're avoiding fat. I mean, I, I give Chloe turkey, little, little piece of like low sodium deli turkey here or there, or whatever. Um, uh, anything high in fat can precipitate, can potentially precipitate pancreatitis. So pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas. The pancreas is this little organ that sits like in your GI, in your guts, basically, 
that releases your digestive enzymes. And pancreatitis happens when it, basically your pancreas decides to like go out of control, releasing these digestive enzymes and causes a massive amount of inflammation. And pancreatitis can range anywhere from like very, from very mild, which just looks like a little tummy upset to very severe and life threatening. Um, so a little bit of pancreatitis, I mean, sorry, a little bit of turkey should not, and, and again, it's multifactorial. It's not just feeding high fat foods, but it's going to be a, a, a perfect storm of things. But it's thought that high fat foods can precipitate it. Um, so everything in moderation, again, is just the bottom line. So turkey is, is safe for most dogs. If you find that it correlates with your own dog with pancreatitis, then I, I would avoid it. Um, but otherwise, like everything in moderation. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, um, dental care. How often should you brush your dog's teeth? Yeah, um, I have a whole IG live on this with a board certified veterinary dentist also, but the gist of this answer is, um, why well, I ask you how, how often you brush your teeth. Um, so basically, I mean, the more you can do it, the better, but there have been studies showing that um, in order to get benefit from brushing from your teeth, it needs to be at least three times a week. So if you can do it at least three times a week, then that, that will, um, that would, that would benefit them. Okay. Um, Stefania is asking, um, uh, what about milk or yogurt? Um, can they, well, can, can dogs have milk and yogurt? Yeah, this is actually interesting. People are often surprised to learn that um, dogs and cats are actually innately lactose intolerant. Um, there are varying degrees of this. Obviously, a lot of dogs tolerate dairy. A lot of dogs are given like yogurt and dairy and things like that. Um, so again, everything in moderation. Your dog may tolerate it. Some other dogs may not tolerate it. Um, but in general, like it's not good for them, but it, as an occasional treat, I don't have a problem with it. A lot of people also think that like feeding yogurt um, is good for like the, um, for like intestinal health and bacterial strains, but they actually have very different um, bacterial strains than we do as far as like cultures go. So I always recommend a veterinary formulated and studied probiotic. Um, because you're, you need enough what are called colony forming units. So like enough of that bacteria to really even do anything. Probiotics in and of themselves are controversial anyway. There's not a lot of good evidence for them. Um, I like them. I take them myself. I give them to Chloe, but it, again, it's a studied veterinary formula one. Um, so yeah, that's the gist of everything in moderation. Okay. Um, how long, uh, from Rocket Girl Kels, how long is a dog contagious with kennel cough? One vet said it's fine once the dog stops coughing. Another vet said at least two weeks from onset of symptoms. They're kind, those are both sort of the same answers. Usually I, I say also when the cough is resolved. Um, uh, and, I, and I usually say it takes about two weeks for the cough to resolve. So they're kind of, to me, almost the same thing, but I would say more importantly, when the cough resolves and you're confident that it's resolved. Um, for anyone that doesn't know what kennel cough is, can you explain? Yeah, um, kennel cough is a tracheobronchitis, basically like bronchitis inflammation of the trachea and your little bronchioles or your airways and your lungs. Um, it's extremely contagious. Um, it's made up of a complex of different 
uh, respiratory pathogens. So Bordetella, you guys know, like it probably is like the Bordetella vaccine. Bordetella is one component of kennel cough. So a lot of times, um, another thing is a lot of people say, oh, like my dog got kennel cough beside and it had the Bordetella vaccine. It's number one, by no means 100% effective. And number two, not the only component of kennel cough. So they can still definitely get kennel cough even if they have the vaccine. So um, it's basically, it's a cough and it, and it manifests as like a dry hacking cough. Um, you're, the dog is typically otherwise normal, will eat, drink, have decent energy. If you find that, if you find that your dog's coughing, it's always best to go to the vet. Um, but, you know, a cough with like, no energy, not eating, that's, that's, that's something potentially more serious. So, um, thank you for that. Um, in your opinion, what is the best pet insurance? Uh, um, well, <laughs> so first of all, I'm a big fan of pet insurance. I always tell people get pet insurance yesterday. I have pet insurance for Chloe because everything is not free for me. I know how expensive it is. Um, I, I have a I have a partnership with Wagmo. Um, I love Wagmo. It's a female female led um, owned and led uh, insurance company. Um, but besides Wagmo, and also they also have wellness plans that I really love. You can use code Dr. Lisa twenty twenty for twenty dollars off your first month of a wellness plan. I don't get anything for that. They pay me anyway. So do what you want there. Um, but uh, I I also I mean besides Wagmo, I like Embrace, uh, Healthy Paws, True Panion, um, Lemonade's new. I've heard really good things about also people have been happy with ASPCA. Probably my least favorite one is Nationwide. I just haven't had good experiences with them covering things. But but honestly, but some people love them. It's always going to be like your personal experience. And um, honestly, any pet insurance, I will be thrilled if you have any pet insurance, just get it get get the pet insurance. Nala Laprana, we have um, Embra Embrace. Embrace. Yeah, great. Thank I you. love Embrace. Yeah, perfect. Um, okay. Okay, recommendations for chronic otitis in a 12-year-old cocker. I read a study on hydrolyzed protein, but my, but my vet disregarded. Oh, hmm. Then I probably would, I would find... I would find a dermatologist if you can. I would find a board certified dermatologist or a different vet. I mean, uh, that's probably one of the first things I would do would probably to be to try a, a hypoallergenic diet. A hydrolyzed protein diet is a type of hypo hypoallergenic diet. Um, so we definitely know that diet can be linked to allergies and ear infections. Um, so... So yeah, I, they can be really stubborn. It's going to be really important to work with your vet to like get cultures, figure out the root cause of why they're getting chronic ear infections. Um, and diet and allergies can definitely be one of those causes. So you're right on. Um, find a different vet if they're not working with you. Thank you. Okay, so on that topic, uh, you know, we know that having positive experiences makes everything better, including like the human, like if I go to a vet and have shitty experiences, I'm not going to like this vet. I might not like vets. Um, what are some things that you recommend? What are some questions that people can ask to, um, to like help facilitate a good uh, dog owner vet relationship? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it always kills me when people don't like, I mean, we get bashed all the time. I mean, we, you know, you either love or hate your vet, I think. Um, I think, you know, recommendation, word of mouth, you know, is definitely going to be the most powerful thing for, for finding a vet. Otherwise, it's kind of like finding a good therapist. It's just like going and, and interviewing them and seeing what their values are. You know, for example, if you're extremely holistic, you don't want any Western medicine whatsoever, right, then you're going to want to find a vet who aligns with that, make sure that they're fully holistic, and then they're out there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's finding one that aligns with your values based on like word of mouth. Um, I don't know, there are like specific questions that you can ask, you know, whatever's important to you, right? Like if diet's most important to you, ask like, well, what are your views on this? Um, you you wanna find somebody probably who aligns with you or at least will work with you, you know? Like yeah. even though, like for example, like I'm not a proponent of raw food, I would still work with you and make sure, you know, that your pet is like as safe as possible and not condemn you for anything. I'm not going to judge you. Like all I can do is tell you the facts. And then, you know, obviously you have to do what you feel is best for your dog. There's so much that we don't know in medicine. There's medicine is such an art, right? You ask, you ask five different doctors the same question and they'll give you five different answers. Six, di they'll give you six different answers. Like it's, it's such an art. So I think you, the most important thing is to find somebody that you feel like listens to you, cares about your dog, and and takes your recommendations, you know, seriously. So, um, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's like finding a good therapist. You just gotta go and try. I think that's great advice. <laughs> um, do puppies who recover from parvo tend to end up with long-term GI issues? Hi, animal neurodoc. Um, Love you. If you want a good board-certified veterinary neuro neurologist, go follow Animal Neurodoc. Um, do they tend to? Um, no, a lot of them don't. I am not aware of any correlation. Um, not that it can happen. I, I, anecdotally heard, <coughs> had a few clients say that to me. Actually, recently, one of them said that to me. But I'm not aware of any like proven link of this. There is definitely puppies that recover from parvo and do great. So it's not something I would be concerned about. I would just get them through Parvo. Okay, Malin Grinch. When I bring my three-year-old intact female to my vet, she's very aggressive about spaying her. By the time I get home, I have emails about the benefits about spaying and my raw diet as well. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really very personal preference. So you can, you, I guess you can do one of two things, right? You can either say to your vet, like, I hear you. I, I hear you're concerned for my dog, but um, this isn't going to change. So like, I'd love if we continue to work together and, you know, this wouldn't come up again. Um, or just finding somebody else who really, you know, aligns with your values and will understand and respect your own choices. Mm -hmm. So again, I, I think you've heard everything that we say about, you know, spaying here, the, the risks, the benefits. We can just give you the studies, the, the facts that as we know them and see them. Um, but then ultimately the decision's up to you. So I think, you know, things can only be said once and then, um, you got to find somebody who will work with you. Yeah. You have to feel comfortable yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Good questions. Um, and I like that this is like about like the, the vet relationship, right? Because 
also I have a feeling a lot of your followers probably have not had a good experience with bets. <laughs> Although the survey, I was surprised. They, they seem to actually, more of them did than did not, but. Well, it's so interesting. Um, I, I like that you said like um, about like finding a different bet or just one that aligns with your lifestyles. And um, because like for me, uh, being in California, being in LA, the, the holistic approach was very popular, like raw food that was definitely pushed and why, um, you know, why Rika is on a raw diet. And then, you know, I, I'm here in New York talking to you and you're like, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about that. So, um, yeah. I yeah. Just, I, I, and I have, and I have friends who are vets who feed raw and again, like I'm open to it. I think it's a lot harder to do and, Again, per the studies, just you do have that risk, right? So that's just the only thing I like people to know. But I'm open to it. I just, I just don't think there's a proven benefit. But you know, if it works for you, then then we got to work with you. So that's that's that. Um, I also know a few people who got their dogs um, spayed or neutered before a year, and they're having some guilt around it. Uh, what are, what's, um, some advice there, you, you can, I mean, you, there's, we can only live in the now, right? I mean, I, it's same thing. Like I, I, I think about it too. You know, I spayed Chloe before she went into any heat. Um, you, it's just, it's there, the, it's a moot point, unfortunately. So you did the best you could with the knowledge you had at that time. Um, and I think just focusing on the now and being grateful for everything that your dog is healthy and happy, um, we'll, we'll never know, you know, so I wouldn't, I just wouldn't overthink it. Thank you. Okay. Other than salmon oil, do you recommend any supplements? Uh, yeah, actually. So, so I don't really recommend salmon oil. I think dogs are actually not very good at converting salmon oil, but they're but fish oil, I love. So omega, omega fatty acids, omega EPA, DHA, which is more in um, like a broad spectrum fish oil. Um, Nordic Naturals is one that I, that I really like that's over the counter. Um, I usually use one called Veterinary Recommended Solutions, which is a prescription, um, a prescription fatty acid that is in like therapeutic doses. So depending on what you're using it for, it's, so it's highly anti-inflammatory for joint health, heart health, um, uh, joint heart, joint health, heart health, skin health, eye health, um, very anti-inflammatory has a lot of benefits, but you have to make sure you're giving it like in therapeutic doses. Um, I'm going to do a post on supplements. I mean, the thing with supplements is they're totally unregulated, right? Like you could get anything off the internet claiming to be a supplement. The FDA does not regulate them at all. So the one thing that I would check with a supplement is that they have number one, what's called the national animal supplement council seal NASC. Um, and that's just an independent third party verifier that like, yes, what this company says is in there is in there. Um, for example, like with the CBD company that I work with Medterra, um, they have the NASC seal. They have certificates of analysis showing you by third parties that like they are, um, they have, you know, no levels of like pesticides and things like that in them, good manufacturing practices. Um, you know, that's why I think if you have a vet that you trust and they recommend these things, it's usually we're looking at the research and the evidence and the, um, like the right labels that they should have. So, um, so yeah, so not just like any salmon oil off the internet, I would do a fish oil, 
Nordic Naturals is my favorite over-the-counter one. Okay, thank you. Um, thoughts on um, Chiari malformation in an eight-year-old cavalier? No pain, but phantom itch and progressing weakness. Oh, yeah. Um, very common in King Charles Cavaliers, although can happen in other breeds. I don't know if Animal Neuro Doc is on here and wants to chime in at all. Um, basically, I, I would work, I would see a board-certified veterinary neurologist for this. Um, I'm glad it's not really severe. Usually at the at this stage where it's not very severe, we will put them on um, some different pain medications like gabapentin is a very popular one, um, Lyrica, um, things like that, which are for nerve pain that can help with a lot of those symptoms and are really very, very safe drugs. So, um, and a lot of times it can be managed like that and hopefully not progressive. Um, also, your neurologist may put you on omeprazole. There's some um, thought that omeprazole will like decrease the pressure of the cerebrospinal fluid. Um, but again, you, I would, I would definitely encourage you to see a board-certified veterinary neurologist. Okay. Um, did you? What are your thoughts on raw goat's milk? Uh, same, same thing for raw. Like I, I wouldn't drink it myself. Um, you know, the thing with the milk, right, is that it's purported to have. Like people drink milk for, I think they have an idea that it has like colostrum in it, which are antibodies. So like that's the first milk that, you know, when, when, when women have babies or animals have babies, the first milks have colostrum, which are like rife with antibodies, which are really, really healthy, um, which are great for you. And it, it is like liquid gold. Um, but again, a lot of animals are lactose intolerant. So I, I don't incur, like milk's not good for them and and there's just no um there's just no proven benefits to it and anything raw and unpasteurized again you've got you've got risk for um disease and pathogens there so if it makes you feel good you know but like i said you just have to be aware it's it's unpasteurized for a reason which means it can have um some pathogens that we don't want in there Dots on flora for sprouted seeds mix. Like Say that again. Thoughts on flora for sprouted seeds mix, not the food. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. That's something that I'd have to look into. I'm not really sure. I I'm not sure what they're asking either. <laughs> okay. um, someone asked um, about fasting. Um, what is your recommendation for um, fasting a dog, let's say, before a flight? Oh, um, for a flight? Yeah. I mean, I would, I think that's, so it depends on for, for what reason, right? I usually before travel, just like a little bit of food um, is usually a good idea. So sometimes they have something small in their belly, unless they're known to get really sick. Um, if they travel, then like there's... Um, and they have like nausea or anxiety problems and big fan of drugs for those things. Um, I thought you were asking me fasting in terms of like intermittent fasting or like keto and stuff like oh. that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of that for people. I don't think there's any, um, I don't think there's any studies on it in dogs though, but dogs can certainly go several days without eating and be fine. Um, okay, more personal. How has it been seeing patients during COVID? Is it hard to not have owners in the room? Oh, um, that's very sweet. Thank you for asking. Um, I So I really haven't been, you know, because my parents were sick and I was with them for seven months, I've really mainly been doing telehealth. 
So I've been trying to help people who also can't leave um, or, you know, don't want to leave, especially during this time. But obviously I do have a lot of friends who are doing curbside and it is so, it's so hard. It's really hard. It's really hard when that lack of face-to-face -face is there, the lack of communication is there. It slows everything down. It makes their day so much harder. Um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. So yeah, I appreciate you asking. And I would just say, be patient. The other thing is that I just heard yesterday this statistic that just came out. There have been 11 million new adoptions since the beginning of COVID um, of, of pets. And so veterinary clinics are just slammed. They're just completely slammed. And there aren't enough vets in the world, unfortunately, I think. So um, I would just, just try to be really patient with your vet. Um, I know it's really hard. I know it's really hard, but um, it's really hard on us too. So thanks for asking. Um, okay. You um, were laughing though, because you, did you have that, ex did you have that, ex was it hard for you? Did you do curbside? Oh yeah. So yeah. Um, we, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, I, I'm bummed because I like having the relationship with my of vet. Course. And yeah. you know, I, uh, the new vet tech took in, um, took in Rika and, you know, then the vet calls me on the phone and it's nice chatting, but I'm, I feel like I'm not going to get that just yeah. that face to face. Like also yeah. I find myself not asking as many questions um, when it's on the, yeah. on the phone, like I'm sitting in my car, it's kind of weird. Um, but the experience, yeah. the vet tech was great. And she's, if she's a representation of the vet, then I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually really Good. funny. Um, so Rika wears a prong collar and um, Rika and the vet tech took Rika in and uh, I asked like how she did in there and um, the the vet tech was like she was a little dramatic. Um, <laughs> I like told her to go on the vet table and she kind of like like yeah like kind of like yelped like whine and then she put a slip collar on and then she whined again and then the vet tech just picked her up and put her on the table and she was fine. Uh, but the vet tech explained it to me as uh, she was being dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. they often are. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, she's a big dog. She can handle her own. They often turn into like babies for sure when they come in. So yeah, yeah. but I'm sure she did great. She did. I'm happy with them. Okay, Corona and dogs, is it starting to, it's starting to really spread here in Romania. Corona in dogs? Coronavirus in dogs. Um, I, there, so there have been a few case reports of COVID in dogs here, none that have been proven to be fatal. There was one case, I think his name was Buddy of a German Shepherd that also had lymphoma um, and COVID at the same time. Very, very, lymphoma is uh, cancer that is deadly within weeks if we don't treat it. Um, so I wouldn't by any means say that that, um, that COVID was the cause of his death. There have been no other proven deaths that I am aware of. There's also been no case reports of COVID transmitted from animal to human that I am aware of. Um, but there have been case reports of dogs, cats, minks, different animals contracting COVID. Um, yeah, so I would just, I, I have not seen like an uptick here of that happening. Um, I haven't heard about a case in a little while, actually, which is good, um, but doesn't mean it can't happen. So especially with the variants. 
question. Do you um, have a COVID-19 shot for the dogs? Uh, no, that's a really good question. Nope, there, there's not because I think it's really, they're just starting to study it in dogs. Um, it's really a very different disease. There is a Corona vaccine. There is a coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, but it's not the, it's different than COVID-19. Um, most dogs do not get the coronavirus vaccine and most, most vets worth their salt really don't give the coronavirus vaccine. I've actually never, I don't even think I've, maybe I've seen it. I've seen a few dogs get it. Um, got it. Oh, did she? Rika got the, it in May. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, um, coronavirus in dogs is typically very transient and short-lived. It can, either can be, it's usually like um, a GI, um, like they get a little like vomiting or diarrhea and it's transient and then they get better. Um, so yeah, most pets don't, it's, it's not one that I give. Um, some pets give it. I don't think it's a do, like, I think it's a do no harm kind of a thing, probably. Um, but again, because it's transient and it's not really severe, it, it doesn't cause severe disease. Um, it's, it's not one that I typically get. So, okay. but, I, it, you know, I'm sure she's no worse for the wear for having it. Okay. Um, my one-year-old lab has a consistent limp. However, the x-rays are inc inconclusive. Doctors say surgery is the only solution. However, it may not be successful. What are your thoughts? That's a, you know, without knowing more and seeing him, it's really hard to know. Um, you know, I think if you're, if it's complex and they're having a hard time figuring out why, then seeing a board certified veterinary surgeon is always going to be the most comprehensive thing that you can do. Otherwise it's really hard for me. There's so much there that's missing that I just don't know, unfortunately. Okay. Dr. Lisa, thank you so much for answering all these yeah. questions. Um, for all the new um, puppy owners and, uh, and dog owners, uh, what are some things to look out for in your dog? Uh, you know, I think, so when somebody gets a new puppy, I always like them actually, pe people ask me often, like, should you go right to the vet? Um, and I don't think so. I actually think it's it's really great to spend a couple of days with the puppy to make sure that they're not, there's no vomiting, no diarrhea, no coughing, right? Like, make sure that they seem, they're eating normally, make sure they seem like a normal, happy, healthy puppy. Um, and then and then after a couple of days, like, yeah, seeing the vet's a, a great thing. I mean, it's never wrong to just go. And if you're not sure or they obviously are having any of those issues, then for sure go. Um, but otherwise, just making sure that they're eating normally, again, that they're not having any vomiting, diarrhea, coughing, anything like that. Awesome. Okay. And uh, can you t talk a little bit about your, um, your podcast? Oh, my podcast <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> We don't deserve dogs. We don't, right? Um, and I should have you on to talk about working dogs. I love working dogs. We had on um, Mike. Um, Mike Ritland. Ritland. Mike Ritland. Yes, yes, Mike Ritland. Yeah. Did you know that we had Mike on, or you just know because I said Mike? Um, well, I saw on one of the photos. I yeah. saw that he's following do you. you like, do you yeah. do you do you follow Mike and like because the working dog, right? That's like relationship. Yeah, and so um, I was chatting with him to get him on for a Q and A too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He's yeah, he's he's great. Um, yeah, he's I mean, awesome. I have all the respect in the world for working dogs. I think they are so effing cool. I mean, what you do with them, the training, the 
I mean, people just don't realize. And I always say, like, I'm not a trainer. I will derail all of your training. Um, it is, it's so hard. It is so hard to stay consistent. But um, Rika's the coolest. I think she's the coolest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm also, like, a first-time Malinois handler. So I'm, and I'm also not a dog trainer. So, it, But you've done phenomenal with her. And uh, what, what other breeds did you have before her? German Shepherd, Collie, and Rescue Chihuahua. <laughs> okay, so you had a shepherd. You had a you had a big dog that was powerful too. And um, but yeah, right. What you're doing with her is so 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 cool. Yeah, I love working dogs. They're very cool to watch. They are definitely um, a whole like different you know study. And uh, there are people who specialize in them. There's a working dog center at Penn Vet um, that has like a whole host of different kinds of working dogs. They do studies on working dogs. Um, I also would follow, she was the canine doctor. I'll send you her, um, her handle. She's a vet student who also has a working dog. And um, she talks about things also like e-collars, prong collars, things like that. And how, you know, if you use them in the right hands, I don't know, it's very hard for me. Like that's something that it's, you know, I've, try to keep an open mind around it's it's very hard I don't think that most people are capable of using them right right or correctly um, and I think they wind up in a lot of irresponsible hands and give people who use them really bad names um, but I do think like there might be a time and place for them I just obviously have no experience with the training like that but she's a vet student who really puts it all like pretty eloquently um, with a black German shepherd that you should follow she's great yeah, definitely send it to me. I think like the, the prong and the um, e-collar are the two most misunderstood tools. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if, if you don't, and the, the biggest thing, like even talking with you, I mentioned the prong collar, uh, I would really like to serve as a bridge because um, people not understanding like that this dog needs that type of communication mm -hmm. in order to yeah. like, live a better life. Like right. it will, it, it, it will be a lot better for both human and dog. If this dog knows that, Oh, this is actually wanted. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. Like I said, I just write hands. So, and you are certainly doing, doing it amazingly well. She looks amazing. Well, thank you. It was so nice chatting with you. So Sorry nice. we had this uh, technical issue before. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so if there's anything you want to follow up on and certain things, I will get you that study about the spay neuter and I'll get you her handle. Um, and yeah, any other questions, just let me know. But this was super fun. Thanks for hearing me out. Okay, bye guys. Bye. Bye. bye.